0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Classic Series Redrive. Check them up. Let's get started. All right,
1: welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Classic Series Redrive. Here, this is episode number 66. I'm Mark Osteller here in Burlington, Michigan, joined by Kyle Forsythe in Manan, Idaho, and Logan Reinhold in the Reinhold Tack and Western Wear Studios in Waterloo, Indiana. How's everything in Idaho, Kyle?
2: It's uh, springtime here. Um, yeah, it's spring training and about three weeks away from leaving for the Grand Junction show, uh, the Wild West shootout in Grand Junction, Colorado. The Clark family put that show on. Uh, they they do a great job out there, so looking forward to that. So driving horses and kids are in softball, hot and heavy. Uh, I'm coaching I got kind of suckered into it uh, coaching Riley and Hadley's team. So the 10 and under team, six and under team almost got into a fight yesterday with the 10 and under. (laughs) That was kind of interesting, but uh, anyhow, you getting on the ump or what, who, what was no, well, uh, so
1: seriously details.
2: Yeah. The games are about 60 minutes, which, which is, you know, that's fine. And you're not supposed to start a new ending. If if you're at the sixty minute mark, but they have like a twenty minute grace period if you start a new inning. So uh, this lady and her team, we were up three nothing. They batted, they got five runs in the top of the inning, and so it was five three. And she went, "Woohoo! Uh, we're out of time, so I guess we win." And I'm like, "Well, we're the home team. We bat last. Uh, we still get our bat." And she's like, "Nope, out of time. Our kids are going home." and i was like uh, i don't think so and the umpire's like well we are out of time and i'm like well yeah but we started an inning so we have to finish it and uh, anyway long story short uh, they uh they basically walked out walked off the field and i'm like well whatever so i phoned the league coordinator and the league coordinator's like no that's not right we got to watch the whole inning. The top of the inning doesn't count. So we ended up winning three, nothing, but <laughs> <laughs> I was a little hot under the collar. This, uh, this little jukebox of a coach. She was pretty, uh, she was pretty fired up about, she was pretty fired up about, about it. But uh, anyway, a little league drama. Oh, yeah. It was all our players were mad and the parents were mad. I said, don't worry about it. Let's just go. We're not going to force them to take the field if they don't want to play. They don't want to play. Uh,
1: oh, jeez, How are things so, yeah, in Michigan? You said you're going to do that. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Everything's greening up. Trees are budding. Yeah. It's springtime. We've had a little cool weather again here, but I uh, actually snowed for a little while this morning. But uh, yeah, slowly getting things around back. here. And. Yeah, we're going to, we're getting back at her here. And so, yep. Um, you're going to the Wild West shootout. How, you, so how are you you're, feeling? Um, you're, you're, yeah. Your I'm feeling 100%, better, yeah, Mark. No, well, it's not a hundred percent, but I got cleared to do light work. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm getting back at her. I got to do it like a four week process, I guess. Um, just do a little bit at a time for four weeks and take care of myself. And hopefully, hopefully in four or five weeks, I'll be kind of back to normal. That's what I'm hoping. So good. Yep. Getting better.
2: Yeah. yeah, we're we're getting ready for the Wild West shootout there. It sounds like it's gonna be a pretty good show. I think Express is maybe coming for the first time. Um actually Jared Gardner, I was talking to him uh lining him up for this episode. He said that they were going. So Oh, is uh, that right? Yeah, so I think there's gonna be, you know, there's gonna be some pretty good numbers. Sounds like it's gonna be a fun show. It's uh I think they moved it to it's uh the weekend before uh, Memorial Day, they weren't getting great crowds on Memorial Day weekend. People were busy doing other things, and so they moved it to the weekend before, so it kind of moved it up in the schedule a little bit, which is okay. It's kind of a nice show to get started at and get your kind of get your feet wet. Clark family do a great job with that show, and and Enos and that group. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yes.
1: That'll be the end of May, and next thing you know, it you're turning calendar year of June, and then hot and heavy into it. July, June, July, and August. So exactly. Yep. I'll be here before we know it. And that's for sure. You betcha. Speaking of shows, just there's still, I mean, there's a, I was on the website today looking and there's a ton of shows that I know that are out there that haven't registered yet. And I would just recommend everybody to get registered. Of course, if you are a summer show before labor day, um, your deadline is May 15th. Um, so it's, um, it's time to get registered and get online so people can schedule their show season and for the fans just to kind of plan out their schedule on when they, you know, where they want to go for the weekend. Yeah. It's uh it's a big advantage to get them registered early. It, it really is. I mean, uh, Brenda says it all the time. Our executive secretary, you know, she gets messages all the time, you know, when, where's the show schedule, You know, is there a show, you know, is there a show near me? I can't find anything online. And, you know, so we do get a lot of traffic online to, to, you know, look at, look for shows and places to go to. And it's, it's important to get your show on there. So if you haven't, uh, I'd suggest doing that. And another, just another note on the classic series, you should be getting, uh, your hall of fame ballots here, uh, at any, any time we, uh, have, six i believe on the ballot this year again so um some good names that um, hopefully will get some recognition and for their time either serving on the board or serving in the organization or just being a big part of it and uh, over the years so keep an eye on your emails for that as well
2: sale season kind of wrapped up last weekend the dover sale and the clyde sale you hear much about those, Mark?
1: uh, yeah actually, you're a here. He was a big ring man out at the Clyde sale, and oh yeah, uh,
2: cool,
1: oh yeah, yep, they had him out there taking bids, and he uh he thought it was he thought it was good, and he thought the horses sold well, um actually, Don Bell from here from Michigan had a mare there for forty thousand, and uh yeah, that was the gelding. top right, the top mare, yeah, um, Kent Gingrich had you know fit her, and oh, I believe another gelding brought what thirty six thousand yeah, um, I
2: believe so. So yeah, no, and the, pretty sure the writing... Kim Smith from Ontario maybe bought him.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh,
2: Yura yeah. said he, he took his bid,
1: and Kim and Donnie would just bid small and slow, and Yura'd have to get after him, and he bid again, and so <laughs> they mm-hmm. they uh, they ended up buying that one. And but uh, yeah, pretty strong sale. Then Dover, I I believe a uh, we a yearling Belgian Philly brought thirty thousand. Perchermer brought thirty thousand. Uh, I just talked with my brother; he was there, and uh, he said maybe the yearlings were a little bit, you know, softer than sometimes. But overall, he thought it was a
2: very strong market. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good wrap. I guess there's the Seymour sale. Would it be in June? Middle of June would be the the last kind of sale.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, still it's fall, but still, season's kind of almost coming like the the shows are kind of a year round kind yeah. of deal now, you know, in the summer and
2: yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it just all the way through the season, I would say super strong market. And, um, I think the Clydes, again, they they've really focused a, a lot of attention on the riding horses and some of that. And it seems like those have been super, super strong. There's a lot of fifteen, twenty, twenty five thousand $25,000 horses sell just for people that want a pleasure horse. So that's really promising too yep
1: no that's for sure uh kyle talk a little bit about this episode um pretty pretty
2: exciting one and a lot of knowledge on this one yeah i think this is going to help uh I, I mean i i learned a lot uh actually i've i've asked all three of these people questions over the years um very knowledgeable uh kathy zom from huntington and jared gardner from madrid iowa and gordy rizika from viking alberta and all three super knowledgeable. I, I imagine there's been thousands of horses go through each one of their barns, uh, breaking colts. Yeah. They, um, they kind of,
1: you know, tell us some of their secrets that they like to do. And, um, just, I, I it was fantastic. I just sat there and listened and took notes and, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, th- I think it was great. Kind of
2: unique and- too, just the different perspectives. And, and I think, a lot of similarities but there's a few differences but at the same time they all kind of go for the same you know they all get the same results which uh yeah there there's different paths to get to the end result and i think that's kind of highlighted it through some of this as well so yeah for sure no
1: i hope you guys enjoy it we sure enjoyed sitting down with these three great horsemen and horse trainers and they like Kyle said hundreds of horses or thousands of horses went through their hands already and Uh, just, just, just a great episode and hope you guys enjoy number episode number 66 and see you guys down the road.
0: We would like to thank Shipshawana Harness and Supply in Shipshawana, Indiana. Mr. Bob Schrock, if you're looking for products for the show ring or at the farm from A to Z, anything you need, horse nutrition, tack, you name it, make sure you check them out, ShipshawanaHarness.com, follow them on Facebook, or visit their shop in beautiful Shipshawana, Amish country, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., and Saturday, 8 a.m. till 12 noon. Call Mr. Bob Schrock, 260 768 -768 -768 7254 for all your draft horse needs. We've
2: got a real exciting episode here on the Redrive Podcast. Uh, Kyle Forsyth's here in Manan, Idaho via Zoom. we got Mark Hostetler from his house via Zoom in Michigan. Uh, Logan Reinhold on the soundboard got three guests today. We're going to have a round table discussion about breaking horses. Uh can't think of three better people than what we have today. We're going to go around the table and introduce introduce all three. We're going to start with uh with you, Jared Gardner from Madrid, Iowa. Is that correct?
3: Yep, that's correct.
2: Give us a little history about yourself and
3: Oh, I've been draft horses my whole life. Um I think it was around 2010, I started breaking horses full-time. And I was doing some shoeing back then, too. And since then, I've quit that. And now I just break horses. Uh, We show a six-horse at Clydesdales also.
2: Also joined uh, from Viking, Alberta, uh, Daryl Sutter, coach of the Calgary Flames. From Viking, Alberta, the <laughs> second most, he's the second most famous guy from Viking, Alberta, the most famous guy from Viking, Alberta, Mr. Gordon Rizika. Gord?
4: Yeah, I don't know about that. But anyways, no, I've been, uh, I was raised with horses and my dad broke horses. And I started when I was about uh, 12 or 13, breaking bite horses and helping dad with the drafts. And I've been doing my whole life of doing that. I've done lots of buying selling. Um, get a lot of problem horses, uh, put a few hitches together, worked away for a little bit for a couple of hitches and yeah, it's been well most of my life. It's a big learning curve and it seems like every day it, it's, uh, you keep learning something about it, so that's a new thing. About it, i live in Viking, Alberta and we run about a hundred head of horses, uh, about 30, 40 poles a year and buy and sell a few and yes, about it.
2: And last uh, but not least, the veteran of the group, been driving horses a long time, I assume, from Huntington, Indiana. Miss Kathy Zom.
5: <laughs> on. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I guess uh, I've been around horses since I was about ten years old, and I got the only one I could afford was a really mean one, and uh, that sort of started me into the training episode. So trained horses till. Um, just saddle horses mostly till about no, 79. I bought my first draft horse, so that shows you how old I am. Um and then a couple of years into that I started training and I got real lucky. Bob Robinson's from Michigan uh saw me working a set of four across one day up at the Topeka Sale, and he gave me a chance at breaking some of his good horses and just sort of from then it took off and I've been training horses ever since. Uh I used to train upwards to 60 a year, but I'm down to about 30 now. I'm I'm going to be I'm 72 now, but I still love it and uh, still enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Talk, talk, uh, talking to, with Kathy here, we'll just lead into this. Um, you used to do some educational videos back in the day. Uh, talk a little bit about that and how that all came about and who got you started on that.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been training for years, and, and uh, um, I guess I started my classes in 1990, uh, and I've had classes up until the, the COVID hit, and then I quit doing them. But uh, Bob Mishka saw that we need we needed somebody to have some videos out there that would help people, and he really pushed me into doing the videos. Uh, He found me a a film man and uh, set me up with that and really helped promote that. And that's been good, too, I think, for people that didn't have any idea how to groom a horse or to harness a horse. And we went over a lot of that and stuff. So. And a lot of my clients are still coming from people that they thought they wanted to break a horse. But then when they really get into all of it, it, that's where a lot of my clients come from. More of the greener people. Most of the big hitch guys, they don't um, need somebody to work their horses. It's the green people out there that need help. So I think my classes have really helped people with that, and so has the videos. So
1: So, uh, I still see those videos in... At the harness shop at Chip when I come in there, there's still, you still have some available, right?
5: Oh yeah. Bob sells them. He usually buys like 40 a year from me. Um, there's still, there's so many new people out there wanting to learn something. And even those, those were made in like 95. I haven't really changed my method of training much. I've added a few things and I do a long, a little more long lining now than I did back then. Uh, but, uh, not much has changed. It still makes it safer for people. I think when they've got some idea what to do and then a lot of people get the videos, then they want to come to the class because they know they can't comprehend everything and have a good breaking horse. So.
2: So to build off of that and, and we'll maybe start with the uh, uh What's the process you want your horse to get broke to drive. What, what's the process? What, What's what do you start with, and and what are the steps you you take?
4: Well, it's changing for me a little bit. Um, I used to be a little more Western in my younger days, and I, but I got to the point where when I do some of my clinics, I always say it starts in the barn. So everything we do with the horse, hand them on the ground, will translate over to anything you want to do with the riding, driving, whatever you want to do. So my big thing is to Get them well-mannered and disciplined in the barn. And then I slowly, uh, I put them in a bitten rig. And I usually give them 10 days to two weeks in a bitten rig. And I first just break them over in a bit. I don't check them or nothing. It it doesn't matter if you're breaking a farm horse or a show horse. I just put this break over which just kind of teaches them to yield to the bit. And I put them in a, in a big pen so they can be free and move around and uh, just let so them get used to it. After four or five days of that, whenever they actually give in, which usually is four to five days and they free up, then I'll go to if it's I'm trying to drive a show horse or breaking show horses, which I do most of. Um and I do get a lot of problem horses, but I I do the problem horses the same way. So and then I I go to checking them and I just found that what changed for me a lot is they get through so much stuff without me being associated with it. And I also do a lot of backing with them, like when I'm doing the bitten rig. Uh, I back them out of the barn so they learn to get over that fear. And since I've done that, usually in about 10 days to two weeks, I can hook them. I don't have a breaking horse. I never have. I've always just used what I have around there. And if I don't uh, have anything broke, which typically I do, sometimes I'll just line drive them. But what I found when I did with the, how I set up my system for baiting them up, they kind of self teach themselves to yield to the bit. So they're they're pretty easy about that. And they're over the fear of backing. And then uh, I did just start driving them. And my dad's theory was that the, the main things you got to, they got to stand, stop, and turn. And then he, so that was embedded in me as a kid. It didn't matter if it was a riding horse or a driving horse. And so that's what I really concentrated in the first week is that they'll. Stop very aggressively, and I turn both ways and teach them. You know, get it. If I'm driving them single, it's different. But if I'm driving them double to get away from the song on each side, then after that, um, it's just a matter. If you got the base in them, uh, then I just drive them, do whatever. If it's all-in feed, um, red manure, whatever I got around here to do, pull some harrows, whatever it is. So yeah, that's pretty simple. Um, for me, and it's got to be thirty eighteen
1: about how I end up them, yeah. Now, Gordy, I'll I'll ask you a question. Do you like to use a softer bit than when you start, or like a more severe bit? Or what kind of bit would you put in, in to start a, a bit and rig process like that?
4: So my dad, he always kind of switched around. I never did. I, so my theory was, is was to, I always like a tongue-leaf bit. So I start all my colts, with a just you a know, regular bit with some tongue relief. And I start them the first time I put it in their mouth and the first time I drive them, that same bit in their mouth. And so that's my whole theory and everything I do is, I shouldn't say, is I don't ask them any different than I will a month from now. So I demand that they stand when I hook them. And what else we all know the first time. But if we teach them the manners and the cross eyes and the back and with the bitten rig, it actually travels over pretty quick. I never tie them, um, to hook them. And it's amazing, you know, in a week's time of driving, they have that down to an art of the standing to when to hook. And so that's, I never change bits. The check bits I'll change if I'm checking them, if I'm doing a farm horse or a light horse, but I would say I don't check them. But, um, like I said, I usually use the same bed. I just like tongue relief. And my theory is until I get them well broke, I don't really change bits because they're changing so often anyway. Like they're still learning and they're going through a process. So I'd like to make as least the changes that I can. So I'm tr- I try to be very consistent on my breakover. that when I'm doing it, uh, when I start them, they have their own. And it's adjusted to them because every horse has a, you know, a different, Different builds. And I always never try to ask what they can't do because that's, I think, the biggest problem people get into is ask a horse something they're not capable of doing. So I'm really careful on that part of it and probably a little backed off from what I think they're capable of doing. And when they get broken, you can start asking more. But I try to keep it fairly similar so it doesn't change. And I find out when I go to hook them, you know, before I used to, I didn't do a lot of groundwork. And then I thought, you know, they're really confused between the driving bit and the check bit. But when I do the checking system like that, and I find that there, there's that really eliminates a lot of that.
2: I always had a great level of respect for when you take your horses to the futurity programs, whether it be Carson's or the one that's in it used to be in Regina, now it's in Brandon. That you're you're always were in the top couple in the obstacle, <laughs> like they you always you do the obstacle class where you'd back through the poles and go through the cones, you would do all those things. And, and you'd always do really well in those classes. And I'd always kind of, you know, it gave me a lot of respect for how broke your horses were. And that's usually what that class determined is what horses were broke the best. And, uh, you always did, did well in those classes. It seemed. Um, I
4: guess, yeah, whatever. I guess I always try to do the best I can. The, the big thing is, it is, uh, goes back to my theory of my dad, is stop, start, and stand, and turn. So, when they turn, if they'll turn, they stand, and they have respect for you, they're going to do, the fraternities are a, a crap shot because I think it's a lot of luck. I mean, horses, young horses go through a lot of different stages. You know, they'll go really good for a while, and then I find that they'll sometimes go through a little wall. So these maturities, a lot of times, it's, it's, it's timing and a lot of luck. But I mean, my dad always said, the more prepared you are on average, you're going to come out a little bit better. And I think it's the same with whatever you're breaking horses for. If you just, my dad said, there's no substitution for time. And I think that's a you know, there's very true. Um, a lot of people think there's a lot of shortcuts and that we can do it quick. And the more you do it, I guess you can read a horse better, and you might save yourself a little time, but there's still no shortcuts for time.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, for all your carriage needs, look no further than Twisted Luck like Carriages. We offer a fully customizable shop with over 300 color options to choose from and many accessories to complement your perfect rig. By being the exclusive agent for Coyotics Carriages in North America, we can help you achieve all your carriage goals. Now available, containers direct to Canada and the U.S., along with new and used in-stock carriages and many parts to keep your carriage rolling smoothly. For more information or to let us help you design your new carriage, call Rex Mann at 405-326-5623 or visit our website at twistedluck.com. But twisted like carriages, the sky is the limit.
2: Jared, can you uh, build off how you how you break horses? Um, kind of add to or or if there is something that you do different or or whatnot. Well,
3: kind of like Gordy said twenty years ago. I mean, we just get a horse in, we put a harness on, and we'd hook them. We take them out to the field, time to the fence, and we'd let them go and aim for the center. So we had some room to work. But uh, I got older and wiser. So now we do a lot of groundwork first. And I feel like that really helps. Um, I also think a long time ago, horses were tougher. They wanted to run. Every horse I got a long time ago wanted to run. And now, I think you got to get them to go ahead before you got you can do anything. So ah, uh, they're all different. Sometimes we try to start them out in a single lines. Sometimes we'll tie one on to a broke team, and that's what I'm finding now is you got to get them. I mean, you got to get them to go forward. Just don't run into a lot of horses anymore. They're really tough, and that's I'm not looking for any either. I'm sure Gordy could find me some up there, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and I usually only keep them for 30 days, so you know, you just hook them on either side, they need to stop and stand, uh, need to back up, turn. Uh, in 30 days, most of the time, we don't put them in the cart, uh, we always do line drive them single. Just about every time I unhook a horse from a team, I'll line drive it single for a while and ask it to back up. So that's kind of the
1: deal there.
2: So So that's
1: your standard your your standard is a 30 day turnaround, or do you do some that you tell, you know, man, I just need a couple more weeks with this one?
3: Most of the time it's just a 30 day turnaround. Uh some of them it's not because they're so great. It's because who you're Doing it for, I think, you know, they're pretty well, uh, you never hear any complaints from them and they, they kind of know what they're doing, but if it's, if it's just your average guy up the road, you know, I've asked for up to three months on, so.
2: So on your 30 day programs, you're, it all depends on the owner. How does that, uh, what does that consist of as far as like, do you spend the first week kind of groundwork and then how many days a week do you drive them or? How does how does that work on your 30-day program?
3: Oh, we'll like to hook them within the end of the first week, I'd say. First few days are just groundwork. First day, we'll put a harness on them, turn loose in the barn, shut the doors, just let them get used to the harness and stuff. Uh, I've gotten in trouble a few times. You know, you put a harness on a colt, and that really scares them. I tell you what, that's a good way to get run over. So I've always tried to get them a little bit used to the harness first. but. Uh, But, yeah, a few days of groundwork by the end of the first week. Hopefully, we'll be hooking them. And most of the time, it's a 30-day turnaround.
2: Kathy, take us through uh, your program.
5: Okay, um, most of my colds that come in have already been broke, lead and everything. So um, I'm a firm believer in having a round pen. Um, I guess that comes from my saddle horse days. But if I can get, and my round pin is only like 40 foot, it's not a great, not a great big one because I wanted to be able to crack them with a whip if I have to or stop them. Um, but I'll start them with a bit and rig. And the first day I don't usually long line them, but I'll really work on voice commands, making them stop and stand and uh, leave them in there maybe an hour or so that first day, just, just to get used to everything. And then the second day, I'll get them a little tired. And I, I've i really started using the long lines in the round pen. I really found I can get a much better mouth on the colts. And that's the only way you control a horse is with their mouth. And so many of my clients are uh, women and a lot of uh, kids that want to be 4-H kids. And so they've got to have a nice, soft mouth. And I know that's kind of different from what... You know, the hitch boys want something that's right up on the bit, but that's not really my clients that uh, we need that. You can always push them into the bit, but it's hard to get them off the bit. So usually two days then of long lining, uh, I'll break a pretty good sweat on them that third day. And then I've always had been lucky enough to have really good breaking horses and I do now, since 95, I got my indoor arena, which has been a lifesaver. <laughs> so I can hook them to my work sled. And I usually, the first 100 feet can get a little iffy when they start out. But uh, if you can keep them from turning inside out is my biggest problem. But I found if I use uh, the grapevine, Doc Newman showed me how to do that at one of our youth group classes. And that's been a real lifesaver to keep their little rumps together so they can't turn back. Uh And then usually, that mostly the first day, um, I'll have them outside uh, if I feel like I've got them in the mouth. And uh, usually the next day or two, I'm up on my little road driving them because everybody wants them to be able to go to Dairy Queen or, you know, just be safe in a parade. So the sooner I can get them close to the highway, the better and do a lot of standing and everything. And uh, then usually a week of that. And then I'll start putting them on the wagon and always swapping them side to side and, uh, don't usually have much trouble driving them into town once you know, they've got a good mouth. And, uh, I guess then, uh, usually the week and a half, I'll have them in the cart if they're sensible, but there's sometimes I'll put them in the cart and cross ties and you can tell they are not ready. So you better spend another couple of days, you know, on the work sled or something. But, uh, and my turnaround's about the same, too. Uh, usually in three weeks, I can have most of the Colts being pretty good. Uh, a lot of my Amish friends. Um, they just want me to keep them five or six days. They just want them hooked once so they know they're not going to run off and tear up their equipment. So um, yeah. and that's fine with me. I love the first couple of days of hook and I don't care when they're broke that much. But it's so,
2: it sounds like they want to sacrifice yeah. sacrifice yeah. you to save them right. some heartache. Yeah. Huh? Well,
5: for <laughs> many of the guys, they're all working in factories. They don't want to break their machinery or their harness. And it's, once I get the edge off of them, it's no big deal for them to harness and go out, put them, and they've always got good broke horses, so it's no problem for them. But the the green person out there that only wants a card horse, a lot of those, depending on how they drive, um, I will keep the horses maybe a little longer or have the people come to one of my classes or something before they take them home. So that's pretty much my and I don't usually have to be training them to check them up but I do always make sure people take them home with it over check it just eliminates a lot of problems so that's
2: kind of so what you, I, said, you, you mentioned the horse's mouth what's your guys's thoughts and we can kind of go around the table what's your thoughts on on having the horse's teeth done before you start breaking them or if that matters Exactly. I mean, it's probably handy for you, Kathy, because you got a yeah, no, need <laughs> right.
1: yeah. Yeah. seven even, miles
2: down the road that floats yeah. teeth. But.
5: but even before that, I really did try to check and see if they had wolf teeth and make sure things were right. Because if they're hurting, it's just not, it's not fun.
2: So before I, you even started to, yeah. to break them, you'd, you'd have right. that process. And there. I
5: did that on my saddle horses too, because it's the same thing. If their mouths are hurting, they're not thinking with what you want them
2: to do. So. Gordy.
4: Yeah, no, I do all their teeth for sure before they're done. And the other thing is my dad told me um, I always like my horses to have at least a month or six weeks of grain in them. I like them full of energy. Uh, my theory is that if you teach them full of energy, that they'll remember it better. So on my colts, what I found different from what I'd previously done, when I'm talking years ago, it's up to two weeks, ten days to two weeks where I hook them. But I figure I'm just as far ahead in a month than I was before, actually further ahead. and less less issues, like um, <clears throat> they don't try to run that kind of thing. And you know usually in a month's time, if I'm breaking a horse someone else, um, depending on the horse and, and depending on the person, with, like you said, um, I always have whoever I'm breaking them for them come over and we'll hook them we'll go through my whole procedure of what i think is important which probably 50 percent of it is in the barn because i feel that that is the most important part to my finished product is what i do in the barn and it's not it's it's actually really simple it's just a matter of making them stand where you want them to stand and just you know to listen to you when you ask them and that does and then that all relates to it so usually in a month they'll go if i'm doing that they can go at the barn especially if they're going to someone you know fairly that has any experience at all and if it's someone real green then they might come over for a few times and go through it and maybe i'll keep them a couple weeks longer but definitely think the teeth thing is the most very 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 important and for me that they're full of grain because i want a horse to have energy and the first two weeks weeks that i drive them I actually only hook them for 20 minutes to half an hour. I actually never tire them. A big thing is to stop, start, and turn them and then put them away that they're not totally wore out. And then after they kind of get that all down pat, then I, I start doing a little more stuff. And just like Kathy, I have a highway half a mile from me. So I usually drive down there once them going pretty good and make them stand and the highway goes by and let the semis go in front of them and, and do lots of that too, because I think that's very important. The same in my barn when I walk them out. I usually have a tarp once I get them going, and I make them walk over the tarp and back over the tarp. I always back my horse is the last thing I do, So, and it scares them. But they can't really go anywhere because when I drive out of my barn, they can leap foot alleyway. So I can. it's pretty contained, like for them going forward. They have to go over the tarp because there's no spots if there isn't a tarp. And then when you go to back them in and they feel that tarp on their legs or hear it, because I use a plastic one because it makes more noise. Um, it's amazing in two or three days how they, it, it just doesn't bother them. And I always back my horses, very, I always back them into the barn. It's a hundred feet down my alley, a little over. And every time I hook them, I always make them back down that alley when I'm done. And it doesn't mean you have to back fast. You just gotta, the only way that I unhook them is they gotta back in. But I've already taught them that before we I ever hooked them. And the second thing is, is try not to ever ask anything of a horse that you haven't taught them or that they're ready for. So the same thing as Kathy and they said, and with the hooking in the cart, you know, usually if you when you do a lot, you, you pretty well know when they're ready um, to go by themselves. If, if that's for the first time, but anyway.
2: Jared, how about uh, how about you comment on that? I, I mean, obviously your situation is a little different. People are sending them to you for thirty days, whatnot. Um, do you incorporate in the the teeth floating and and some of that stuff before you get started?
3: Um, you know, I guess I don't really know if they've ever if they come with their teeth done. I'm assuming most of mine actually don't but I can tell the ones that are having teeth problems. So yeah, it's a very good idea to get your teeth done before you send them uh, for sure. makes a lot of difference.
5: Mm -hmm.
3: So what's
1: the biggest difference between breaking a, a draft horse and a riding horse? What's, what's some of the bigger differences when you're doing that?
3: Uh, I think there's a ton of difference. Uh, <laughs> I, I never could get along with a quarter horse to get to drive at all. Uh, I don't know. I'm a little a bit old school. I guess I think they're not meant to be drove in the first place, but uh, a lot of people can do it. It was just never for me. Uh, I, I always found a light, uh, quarter horse to be balky. I guess you didn't say quarter horse, you said light horse. There's a lot of difference there, but,
1: uh. Yeah, or a saddle I think horse draft or horses. something like that. I, I'm i sure there's different, you know, methods you guys use to, for like a saddle horse or, you know, a, a driving horse. I, I guess I should have clarified myself a little better.
3: Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, I, I just quit doing the, the light horse gig, but, uh. You gotta be good to do a lot of those, I think. I think draft horses are way, way easier than a light horse myself. That's just my opinion.
2: Gordy and Kathy, you've probably had a little more experience uh, as far as the riding, breaking horses to ride yeah. and, and drive. Kathy? Mm-hmm.
5: I do a lot of um, Gypsy Banners and uh, Frisians, and, and uh, like we hook all of Michelle's uh, Colts, her Florida Colts. And, you know, as long as you've got the right kind of harness and you, your your equipment isn't too heavy, I've not had much trouble hooking those horses. Um, some of the biggest things I have trouble with is when I get these mares in that are, they call them swisher mares, and they kick so terrible they've got, you know, the Um, tumors on their ovaries. And I've had probably 50 of those and you can't fix those. (laughs) Those are (laughs) a bad deal unless you you spay them. You can take them to the um, universities or vets and get them spayed and then they're good. But that's probably the worst thing I run into is getting a lot of those horses.
2: That's probably the worst I've ever been kicked. I was uh, working at Donny Langell's and there was a mare that that was that way and she yeah. kicked her leg around the trace once like all the way around it yeah and <laughs> of course I was the I was the
5: new kid you had to go the hook
2: and get kicked
7: <laughs> yeah <I> mean, <laughs> that was
2: my job was to undo the trace oh man did I get kicked hard <laughs> oh geez right in the shit
5: <laughs> the one mare kicked both back shoes off at me
2: Donnie probably didn't feel too bad either did he no, no, he laughed. He just drove, he drove her back to the barn with one tray's hooked. Oh, geez. <laughs> Sorry, Kathy, go No,
1: go that's,
5: but they, they are um, the first, and I know at the first time I make them go on the sled, I know exactly what they are now, and I just quit, because it's not worth getting their leg broke, or getting yourself kicked, or my breaking horse hurt. I mean, they're almost carbon copies of each other, how they kick like a mule, and kick so hard they can get the crooper off. You just can't even...
2: Have you <laughs> ever had one him. of those, Gordy?
4: Yeah, no, I broke quite a few of them. Yeah. I should say quite a few. Probably 15, 20 head. Um, but, so we'll go starting with the light horse thing. I, I never, when I broke light horses, I actually drove them all, but I didn't drive them as a team. So I did the same little bit of a theory. I always shadow them. I've got used to the shadow. And actually, I would drive them in a small area to get a out on them before I got on them. Uh, I used to get some bad ones. Uh, sometimes people didn't want to start, and sometimes I get some that people tried to start. So I just got into doing that. So I'd run the lines through the stirrups, tie the stirrups underneath. And we were in a small crowd where they couldn't really get away from me. They could get away, but they couldn't really get away from me. And get them to, to do actually what I do with the light ones, stop, start, and turn. Before I got on him, my dad always said, if you can stop a horse and control him, you can keep him from bucking. Um, but so my theory was when I was younger, like I, I talked to my dad about bucking him out and he always told me, he said, if you don't want a horse to buck, why would you teach him to buck? He said, if you want him to be a bucking horse, then teach him to buck. And the same with a horse when you hook him to the sled. Um, you know, some people used to let him run away. And think that, you know, they'll just tire them out. And my dad said, if you don't want them to run away, don't let them run away. And he said, you should be smart enough to have that control. So I try to use that and doesn't say that never happened. And the tail twitchers, I have found, because I'm stubborn maybe a little bit, that I stuck with them a little bit. And I found every one of them, pretty well every one of them, you could get them to a comfort zone to to where they – they would like one side, and it, I just found that then you couldn't do change. So if you got them to drive on the rough, and once they got comfortable, that you could get them. But if you switched their sides, it was game over, and they'd go, go to a wreck. You know, so on them, I was the same as Kathy. I would just tell most people that, uh, you know, that they're probably not worth it. Um, some of the earlier ones, I stuck with it uh, because you try to prove yourself and think. Like Her she said they're usually not worth it um, but I did find that I used to break some for uh, lots of people and if you got them to where their comfort zone if it was single or whatever and you just told them like if you just <clears throat> it's probably not worth it but if you put them there and so yeah that's where I'm at with it and the light horses and the heavy horses for teaching them I don't think it's a lot of different it's just what they're teaching them so I Kind of did the same thing on my driving horses as my riding horses. I wanted them to almost do a slide and stop and turn left, right, back, and not be scared of what's on them, what's gonna be on them, whatever they're gonna be used. And I found it made it a lot easier two weeks down the road. Anyways, that's...
7: Penwood's Equine Products is a family-owned and operated business that strives to support the growth, performance, and longevity of your equine family with our premium nutrition supplements. We make all of our products with locally sourced ingredients right here in the USA, so you can always be sure you're getting the highest quality. We've always been horse people. Our products were developed to take care of our own horses, and we continue to back our supplements with real-world horse owner experience. We're proud of the results, and we love sharing our generations of equine knowledge to help meet all of your horse's needs. We want to get to know you and your horses, and we're here to help with any questions you have. So reach out to us. You're part of the Penwoods family. You can visit us at penwoods.com, email us at info at penwoods or follow us on social media.
2: Jared have you ever dealt with uh, with one of those?
3: Yeah, we had one three or four years ago. We used to hook her last thing at night because we were gonna stink like horse pee you know,
5: all day if we didn't on that.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I never did get her. <laughs> In 30 days, you know, I always found on on a lot of them, it's every time their leg touched the pole, you know, they'd bust loose kicking and peeing like that. And I put her in the cart and she actually didn't do it.
4: I was going to say something, but that's
3: where I got the best remarks, is in a cart with a a mission. Yep. And a very well-known horseman had this horse and I told him, I said, I didn't get much done with her. I said, you can't really do nothing with her in my opinion. And long story short, she went through Gordy Val and brought a lot of money. A lot of money. And I don't know if they ever got her over it or not completely, but uh that's the only bad one I've really ever dealt with. But there to elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you
1: what do you say is a lot of money?
3: I I want to say she brought, it's been a few years ago. I, you know, I'm thinking it's around the 50 mark. It was a lot of money for, <laughs> that. Uh, you couldn't do much with. So,
2: <laughs>
3: oh my,
7: uh-huh.
3: but they did. I mean, they, they eventually got her. I, she, she saw the show ring. I know that. So, but, uh. I, I have noticed it more in perch and mares. Uh, never really had a Belgian mare that would do it or a Clyde mare, but I've had a lot of black mares do it.
5: I don't know why, but. I've had all breeds. It, it doesn't seem to yeah. matter. because, <laughs> Like I said, I think I've had 53. I kind of kept track over the years. And do they were do
2: all those all mares breeds. breed?
5: Um, they usually only have the um, cyst on the one ovary, and a lot of times they'll breed on the other side. But the biggest thing is those tumors grow. And what we found is they eventually um, those tumors pop and they bleed out. And it's, it's pretty sad, you know, but sometimes you can get them to breed on the one side, but um, it's, you know, it's not a good deal. (laughs) And I don't think it's hereditary. I really don't, you know, from the people that have brought me horses, they've had other babies that never showed these signs. It's just, it's, it's a cancer. So, you know, I don't think it is hereditary. But like he said, to put him in the cart, I never got brave enough to put him in the cart. <laughs> when they're trying to kick my head off, I thought, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I think...
3: I had this one in between two round bales and got the cart in behind it somehow. (laughs) Uh, This one never wanted to run away, though. Uh, I I mean, so I wouldn't get on the seat. I wasn't going to get that close to it. I'd walk behind (laughs) it and drive it. But never had any trouble in the cart. But if you hooked her in the team, I tell you what, she would kick uh, (laughs) –
2: Yeah, yeah Kelly, turn it. the shower on before you're done. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, As Gordy and I know, the smell of the air urine on your hands is hard to get off. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So just, I mean, obviously, those horses are, are tough. Give me something that was maybe one of the toughest horses that you've ever broke. We'll kind of go around the around the horn here.
5: For me, that, those have been the only ones that I never really got through to. Um, I had one perch and gelding that I could never get him traffic safe. If he'd hear a truck, he would go uncontrollable. But most of the Colts, I've just not had that much trouble with them, you know. But but that uh, that one particular, we even put the round pin up by the, the road, and we have a fairly busy road, and he'd just run himself silly if a big truck would go by, so. That <laughs> never got that one broke, but for the most part, other than the the uh you know the the mares with the tumors, that's I've had pretty good luck knock on wood all these years. But and I'm still in one piece other than my hip wore out.
4: So <laughs> hmm. Gordy uh probably <clears throat> never much trouble with horses that have never been touched. What I say never been touched. Like that, haven't been spoiled, they've been broke. Um, the worst ones I ever had were chronic, probably chronic runaways. So it's more not starting, it was more trying to fix. And uh, probably the worst one I ever had was working in California for a van axle. And he had a horse that had run off lots. And the last time they hooked him, he went off, which was, I started there in the spring and that was last fall. So yeah. I had lots of adventures with that horse. Um, try to run well, I did use a run W and so I went to drive him single and just run him go him with a run W and it was really good. And where he was bad is he was actually broke pretty good. It, I think you later in life you learned about the running part. He was probably a 10 12 year old Gelding. But what would get him is he wanted to trot back to the barn. And so I would always walk him back with a run W and if you knew the Run W was on um, he was really good. He just dug up a little bit, and he was fine. But one day, he took a leap, and I pulled, and the rope broke in half. And I was on a stone boat behind him. And we uh, were <laughs> probably uh, at least a mile from the barn. So I stuck it out <laughs> till we got to the barn. But it was an front barn. And at the back, there were two big box balls with six-foot gates. Like, just... And uh, yeah, he ended up in there. And I rolled off there and got the <laughs> barn. I'm like, I'm out of this ship. Just gonna sell on his own. <laughs> so yeah, was worked out all right. And yeah. I did get the horse but we, we did show him a little bit. And I put a little device on him that he thought he had a run W on him. Um not too many people knew I had it and but yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it was worth it. Uh we never did get in that trouble, but uh yeah, that was probably the most exciting ride I've had. Um, <laughs> Jared, Jared, how about you? <laughs>
3: I can't think any right off the top of my head. All the colts are usually pretty good. Um, Anytime we've run into trouble, it's definitely a foil horse. Somebody that brings you a horse that's seven, eight years old, and it's their pet, and they think it can't do anything wrong, I think those are the worst horses you can get in. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the only ones we've really never...
2: The moral of the story... Moral of the story, I was going to cut and that was kind of a question we were going to ask, but it's going to answer itself. But would you sooner work on a blank canvas or or something that's been started is probably a blank canvas.
3: Oh, for me, definitely blank canvas. I think the worst thing you can get a horse that comes in and says, yeah, we've hooked it once, maybe twice. First thing you're going to think is, well, why'd you quit? You did it that many times, you know. (laughs) You Get a horse that's been hooked once or twice, they kind of know what's going on, you know. Everyone's liable to take off on you when you hook it, you know, know, after they can kind of get an idea what they're supposed to do. So, I definitely would rather have a blank canvas and a two year old. I think, I think age is important. I'd say 95% or better of mine are two year olds, that's the way I like them
1: gordy
4: uh yeah i i like uh definitely unstarted. um you know i i, I just seem to people just have them put them on a month of grain and bring them and go from there it's by far the best um i like three-year-olds um i break some i break lots of two-year-olds but i break I like them when they're coming free because then I can actually do whatever I want with them. So if I want to haul them in there or, or you know, we got lots of snow and I want to move feed. I used to stack my feed a mile and a half from home and we, you know, haul feed back or back to the barn with it when we had the PMU. And it really broke colt's good because it ran in the snow and they have to stand the hook and stand the hook and or like to get loaded and stuff like that. So and yeah, probably the. He was talking about uh, the few people that bought horses, and I asked him the same class as Jared did, is, so why aren't you still driving? And they said, well, we don't have nothing to drive on them anymore, and the harness is back. So you have a pretty good indication <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: uh, Shoot. Kathy, how about you?
5: Um, yeah, I'd rather have them not messed with. I like them to be at least leading. Um, the biggest thing I find in these older horses, they use their heads like battering rams when you're trying to bridle them and stuff. I just can't believe people let them get by with that kind of stuff. But, and, but my favorite age is about 18 months where I could start them in the fall and work them a little bit because my work sled is really a halflinger size sled with a draft horse tongue on it. And, it's not too heavy for them and they can get them going. And then, you know, a lot of times people mess with them through the winter a little bit. And then sometimes I bring them back and finish them up in the spring, but at 18 months, a, a good size colt can do a lot of work, but like I don't really farm with them. I have my uh, railroad tracks and, and my bridge and I've got a real steep hill and I've got a lot of things they can do in 20 minutes or so. And, um, but yeah, I, but I've, I've started 12 year old horses. I had an Amish bear two years ago that was 13 and they said, well, they just never got around to breaking her, but you know, I don't treat those horses any different than I would, you know, a young horse just put them in the bit and rig and start. them like, they don't know anything. And she came right around, but that's.
2: She she actually ended up being pretty easy to break. Oh
5: yeah. She was fine. I've had old stallions that, um, you know they're a little tough putting them beside my gelding. I gotta tie their mouth shut and maybe use a pole to keep them off them but um it's amazing if you can't expect them to know more than what the colts do. You just gotta <clears throat> treat them like babies even though they're ten and twelve years old. but for the most part, I've not had any trouble with the aged horses
4: if what do you guys that, what would you to-
2: guys find is the absolute toughest habit to break on a horse? like talk a bad habit horse comes into you that has a bad habit what what are some of those habits and what are ones that are the most challenging um
5: well I could, for, for me it's being herd bound or buddy sour that you can't get them away from the barn they stand in paw those are some of the really hard things to get uh you know a lot of people buy a team and they just want to drive one of them in the cart and the other one's going crazy in the barn and um that's to me is one of the hardest vices to break is that And how do you
1: go about doing that, Kathy?
5: Well, usually I've got a real strong hitching rail out back, and I just make them stand for hours, and I don't bring them in until they've quit screaming, which can take a really long time. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, it's just constantly separating them. Uh, But if the people don't keep doing it, they go right back to being Buddy and But that's probably one of the worst things I've found for the green people, and then they get scared, and um, it's just (laughs) – it's a hard thing when they've only got two horses or something, and they become so attached that they never separate them.
4: So, Gordy, uh, almost all mine are impatient because they're all herd bound. That I mostly get because out here, most people—that's all they ever do—is run them in the herds. So, I'm kind of used to that. Um, I have a separate barn that's attached to my show barn, and it's an, so they can't, mm, they can almost hear them, but they can't, they can't see no other animals. And that's part of my program, right from the start is cross uh, tying them there, like even just the, you know, without harness. And then I, I do lots of that once I get them started, they stand, you know, like probably an hour, at least after by themselves and <clears throat> it, doesn't take too long, and I, I find they come through it. Um, sometimes for me, I, I, it's hard for me to watch them do it. <laughs> but if I just leave them alone, they usually get through it. No, um, uh, I uh, I'd say the worst for me, and I've had a few chronic rearing horses that really want to rear, and some impatience. So most of them won't do it you can't really fix them until you have them in a situation that they're hooked. And so I find that probably, yeah, probably one of the hardest things to, uh, to fix. Um, yeah, it's probably the worst for me.
2: So you mean like it, you can't get it to rare at home, but you get it to the show and they start no, placing no the no class, it'll mean, start to? Well,
4: no, no <laughs> I meant some more breaking um, the horses that have been broke and they come and they're chronic rares or not chronic rares, but they're impatient. And so then you try to make them stand and they want to rare and flip over backwards and stuff like that. I see. So, yeah. It's more probably not starting. It's probably more on a spoiled horse, which I get lots too. So it's a little different because they've already been taught that they can do that. And, but yeah, it, they'll come around to it. Um, different methods and different ways of doing this the big thing is is just my dad said never you know anything you start you got to finish so just make sure you're always prepared so I usually have a pretty good selection of things in my way or wagon like so if I break a piece of harness I can put it back together um that kind of thing and if I have to go back to the barn to regroup um I make sure I'm prepared for it and Um, usually that first time or two can take a fair amount of effort. But once you get through it and they realize that they're not going to get away with it and not get put away, I find they come pretty fast. But there again, I do think if you teach them a little bit of the manners in the barn, and even though it's not related to the rearing, that they can't get away with stuff and you make them listen and you, but you're good to them and you reward them. And that's the big thing, I think. Anytime you, 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 you make a horse listen that, you reward them and it's very important when I'm done the drive that if no matter how bad the horse goes when I'm done with them when I put them away I always reward them and when I say rewarding them I rinse them I'll brush them put some the conditioner on them scratch them between the ears and, and and try to reward them and, and say okay it's over It will do better next day yeah <clears throat>
1: The best little fair in Canada returns for the 160th year. That's right. The Carp Agricultural Society is happy to announce it's hosting their 160th edition of the Carp Fair from September 21st through the 24th. As your fall show season wraps up, the Carp Fair offers something for every draft horse exhibitor, large or small. With over 50000 in premiums across the weekend shows... Carp Fair offers competitive halter classes, North American classic cart classes, two North American six horse hitch point shows, as well as the up and coming Ontario four horse hitch series. With previous exhibitors from all over Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes provinces, as well as the eastern U.S., Carp Fair would be happy to see you in our barns for the 160th year. Carp Fair Draft Horse Committee would love to hear from you if you have any questions in regards to showing at the Carp Fair. Please reach out to them at info at kartfair.ca or Google CarpFair.ca.
2: Garrett, how about you? What do you find is is the toughest (laughs) vices to...
3: I haven't had any for a long time, but I would say the toughest is if somebody brings you a horse that is unsteady, wants to canter a lot, show horse. I would say that's by far my toughest thing to... uh, to get, to train them out of. Um, other than that, all mine have been pretty good, but like, like I say, they're mostly young horses too, I think, but, uh, spoiled horses by far the worst.
2: So, yeah, I guess I had an experience. I I bought a horse and not that long ago. And, and he was, he was pretty high strung. And I actually talked to Gordy on the phone one day and we were talking I, I, is actually getting advice on sacking one out because i've never sacked one out or hadn't had a lot of experience with that and uh anyhow uh i can let gordy explain what sacking one out is go ahead gordy
4: yeah and actually i do that actually to every horse that i help to break or drive i sack them out aggressively when i say aggressively to their oblivious to it. um and i've always said you know, once you start, you don't quit. So that doesn't mean that you're trying to, you're trying to scare the horse and that you're throwing the bag at him or whatever. I just put a gunning sack on a broom, a lighter broom because sometimes you're a long time, it get hard in the arms. But, <laughs> but I try to have something a little a little firm underneath so the sack has got a bit of control so it's not just, and like, I told I said usually go at him in a position that I'm not trying to make them pull or, you know, rare. So I kind of go at them at, a, at an angle where the, they're kind of stuck in between going forward and backwards and touching with it to the, you know, you know and you go gentle and quiet. And then you slowly move your way back or forward, depending on the horse. And then you get it to where you can rub between their legs, up and down their legs, through their belly, through the front legs. And usually the hind legs can be bad, but a lot of horses really hate it between the front legs or on the back of the front legs. Of coming up their neck into their, into the throat latch. So I do all that, clean their ears, everything, and both sides. And I don't quit until they're, they're relaxed with it. And then I reward them. And there again, when I'm done, if that's what it is, then I usually reward them. So then I'll go and I'll brush them, cut them off. If they were really bad, I'll give them a half an hour break and I'll come back and do it again. And I might do that three or four times, but usually you don't. Usually. Uh, after the second time you go up to them, you go slowly you touch them with it and go over them and that's okay. There's an odd one that, that, you know, maybe that's spoiled or something like that. But young horses that are green, they come to it really quick. What I like about it is if you're at a show and, and it's not just a show, if you're at home, a bag blows up in their face, they, they're used. It's not the end of the world. So, I'm really big on throwing stuff at them at home when I say throw stuff at them, just to give them the experience of anything unusual that I can have in my time. So, when I had trucks coming in and out of the yard, I'd pull beside them and have them drive by with the air horns on. <clears throat> and just anything I can expose them to when we were kids, we were driving teams, like I'd have the kids go up a skiddy by them. Anything you can do to kind of get them quiet. But the sacking out thing, I think it just helps with absolutely everything I do with a horse. So. When a trace hits his leg, he's not as likely to kick. Um, if he gets a trace over the leg, he's not as likely to kick. If he gets his leg over the tongue, all that, it's, I find it really big help. And I didn't do it from the start. This is something I started doing more for halter breaking. And then, uh, years ago, and then I thought like, why wouldn't you just do this to everything? So I do, I treat everything I have, if it's old, young, broke, unbroke. And when I bring a young horse in that maybe even had it, the first thing I do to it is, you know, I'll brush it off and then I'll back it out. And 99% of them have had it done when they're young. Um, actually never forget it. And there again, with anything you do, as long as you don't quit and you you get, you get them over the fear, but if you quit halfway through and they're scared, you've accomplished nothing except you've made them more scared. Bigger thing you is Made a shoes. bigger
2: problem. Yeah. yeah. That that was one thing. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's probably the key to that whole program is is give yourself lots of time. Uh it took me, I think, three and a half hours. <laughs> but, but, but but by the end of it, did you, did, he, I mean did it, you get was, accomplished what you were Yeah, he, he went to the stall and he was he was good. And and the next day it took about twenty minutes. He, he was a little Did bit accomplished what
1: you were trying to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had to put both hind shoes back on the next day, but, uh, <laughs> that was the unfortunate part of that. Is he kicked both hind shoes off by the time I was done. But, uh, but at the, <laughs> at the same time, the next day it was 20 minutes and the day after that you could, you could do anything with them and everything since that day has gotten easier. Uh, bridling, you know he had never had his legs he's a coming three-year-old and he had never had his legs brushed below his hawks and I mean I feel very comfortable rubbing him anywhere now uh, as long as he knows you're there I mean he's he's still high strung but uh, definitely a much safer horse today than he was before I started that program
1: kickers what's the best uh I guess Gordy just explained probably what what that's the best way get rid of his kickers. But Kathy, what's a technique you have? If you'd have a horse that's pretty high strung or likes to kick or swing a leg or something, what's, what's a technique you could share?
5: Well, you know, honestly, knock on wood, I don't get a lot of kickers. Um, I find if I long line them enough and they've had those ropes laying on their legs um, and they will kick when you start doing that, I'm not going to lie on that, but once they're very comfortable with those ropes on both sides of their legs, And I put them on the work sled, the tugs. I've just not had much trouble with that really, other than the mares that have the tumors and kick with both feet back like that. I, I, I guess I, maybe I've been lucky, but, uh, and I've got such good old breaking horses. They don't get upset when things go wrong and I'll stop and get their leg back over. And I just haven't had, um, that's not been one of my issues, I guess, too much. Uh, I've had some stallions that wouldn't quit biting my breaking horses and I've had to maybe give up driving them as a team. They just, even if I tied their mouth shut, they just come down on them. And, uh, that's, that's been one of my, not a big problem with the stallions, but some of the older ones, they will try to kill your gelding. So, but kicking, I don't have much trouble with that. If I've done my, my program and and they're a little bit tired and they're used to those ropes on their back legs and, uh, I don't know. I guess I, maybe I've just been lucky <laughs> and I'm not, I know that Gordy probably gets horses out of the Kent, Canada, Canada, and I know they're much tougher horses than we have around here. They've run wild and I don't get many of those. So most of mine are fairly gentle. They might kick to be mean, but they're not kicking scared. Really.
2: Tell us about breaking an elephant, Kathy. <laughs>
5: yeah. Do you break
2: was- an elephant to drive?
5: Yeah, you can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My friend had one and she was a year and a half old and she probably weighed 1500 pounds. And we kept thinking of things to do, but um, she pulled my work sled with a breast collar harness and didn't really mind it too much. Um, The way you kind of control an elephant too is a, a rope around their back leg. They get used to being tied. So if I would, I didn't really have lines on her, but if I'd pull that back leg, she would stop, and he was always up front guiding her with the hook. But to stop her, I'd just pull up on her back leg, and she'd give in to that. But it takes a while for that to become <laughs> safe, too. But then the one day we were... He <laughs> <"Well>, <laughs> He said, okay, Kathy, he said, let's, why don't you lay down and I'll have her walk over you. I go, I don't think so, but it was his, <laughs> it was his, elephant. so um, I laid down and she only stepped on that, my leg a little bit, but we practiced doing that. So
0: <laughs> it's fun to
1: have big old elephant pulling a halflinger sled. Here we go.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you not break some camels to ride too?
5: Yeah, um, that didn't go well. Were those
2: Evans camels?
5: No, those were Tim's too, the same kid that had the the elephant. And uh, most of those camels, they were very well broke to ride for rides where you would lead them. But they didn't want to be, if you're just on them and nobody leading them, they wouldn't go. So it's very hard to get them to go forward because they think they should only be going if somebody's led them. And I found that really hard to work with, too, when people would say, well, we led the kids around on this horse and it's doing really good. Well, with no one leading them, then the horse just does not understand forward motion. And neither did the camels too good. But we got a few of them so you could ride them. But it's always (laughs) an excitement.
2: (laughs) Jared, have you ever broken You have to drive?
3: No, <laughs> I tried to break a goat to drive once. It didn't go too good. <laughs> the only thing I ever <laughs> run besides the <a> horse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Jared, do you have any special techniques or anything Um for maybe a, a problem horse that you want to share?
3: Uh Not really. I've never run into too many kickers either other than just a green colt, you know uh you know every once in a while you'll have one kick over the tongue and there's nothing you're going to do about it you're not going to stop and go get him untangle him right there so you got to drive him a little ways and usually they'll find out that wasn't the thing to do and you know they kind of get over it uh sometimes you get one wants to kick with the tongue hits their leg or something and i just I duck my head back and see how many times I could make the tongue hit their leg, you know, I'll get over it usually. <laughs> I don't know. So, but I've never had one that was real bad to kick. I, I can't think of other than just being a colt. I can't think of
2: anything too tough. Probably one of the most important things is to, to give yourself lots of time when you're, when you're breaking colts, where you're not rushed Like you don't, if you have a meeting at noon, maybe don't start a project with that colt at 11. Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Guy always should have some help too. You know, (laughs) you get a horse down or something by yourself and you got, you got trouble. (laughs) Not to say that I always have help, but it sure doesn't hurt anything. (laughs) Kelly on speed dial. <laughs> a lot of people on speed <laughs> dial. And The worst is you can't get anybody to answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. So what's, um, we'll just go around, around the table here. Uh, young guy starting in, um, wants to start into breaking horses for, for people and have built up a clientele base. What, uh, what's something you could, um, some words of advice for him, Jared, start with you.
3: Oh boy. I don't know. You're going to have to do an honest job for one thing. I mean, you're going to have to do your work. You can't send the horse home that you tried to drive only a few times because those people are going to know it. That's the main thing. I think, um, And the new guy, you know, you're not going to be able to pick what you get, so you're just going to have to stick with it and take the good with the bad so you can do what you want. So, But the main thing is just to do a good job. You can't just do half-assed work and expect people are going to keep bringing you horses. That's the main thing, I think.
4: Gord? I agree 100% integrity and honesty of what you you know that you actually put the effort in and i always say is never paint a picture that you can't paint you know that you can't paint so just don't give expectations you know just do a good job work at it really hard and be honest about what if something happens because things do happen and it doesn't matter how good you are and how careful you are and how long you've been doing it the unforeseen do happen so <clears throat> yeah The big thing is, is to be honest and put a really good effort into it. And at the start, you're not going to get paid very well for what you do because you probably don't read a horse as good. So you're going to put a little more time in it, but it's well worth it in the end. But uh, like I say, the big thing is like you said, just be honest and and put the effort in. Uh, Nothing more disappointing than someone having a horse for a month and doesn't know anything. And, you know, there's no reason for that. At the end of the month, that horse, you, know, you should be able to, you know, whatever whatever your program is, but walk him over the town, hook him up safely. And yeah, he, he might not drive perfect, but he stops, stands, turns, and does everything you want him to do, the basics. And uh, people appreciate that. And I know I've had people tell me that, they said, I'd rather you charge me more and do more than to charge less and do less. And, what I mean by that is taking too many horses on at a time. And when I was doing it you know, down south there for a bit, I would try to never bring a whole group in. I tried to bring um, kind of have them staggered, so I'd half them started, and I usually wouldn't take any more than eight. But that was a full day when we like that was starting early in the morning going till evening. And it was in the winter, so try to have four that were started when four new ones come in. So it 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 made things a lot a lot easier anyway.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, for all your carriage needs, look no further than Twisted Luck Carriages. We offer a fully customizable shop with over 300 color options to choose from and many accessories to complement your perfect rig. By being the exclusive agent for Coyaltics Carriages in North America, we can help you achieve all your carriage goals. Now available, containers direct to Canada and the U.S., along with new and used in-stock carriages and many parts to keep your carriage rolling smoothly. For more information or to let us help you design your new carriage, call Rex Mann at 405-326-5623 or visit our website at twistedluck.com. With Twisted Luck carriages, the sky is the limit.
1: Kathy?
5: Um, I think the biggest thing, a lot of people want to be a horse trainer, but until you've been around horses for years and you know how to read a horse and you don't have a big temper, I see so many people, they get so mad at these colts and you can't, you've just got to keep your sense about you and maybe some days walk away from it if you're getting mad at them. But I feel the, the, You know, people say, well, I'm going to be a horse trainer. But until you've been around livestock and see how they you got to know how to read a horse before you start into this stuff. And I think the biggest thing that gives trainers bad, um, a bad name is, you know, if they get more than six or seven, maybe eight, seven's about the most I ever tried to work in a day. You can't do a good job when you start getting 15 head. I don't care how tough you are. Your patience gets bad and um, you don't do justice to all the colts. And then the other thing is, so many people, like in the saddle horse world, they say, Well, we're going to work your colt all week. Well, they go to the horse show Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They're too tired to work them on Monday. So your colt might get worked three or four times, maybe three times. And I think that's such an injustice to people when they're paying good money to have their horses trained. If, I don't think you can, you know, be at the shows all the time and still do a good job working colts. You need to keep after them. But that's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of my look, outlook on it. And, uh, and I think making sure the colts aren't turned out with a bunch of other horses. I see this happen so many times that, and maybe people don't have enough stall room or something, but they'll turn a young colt out with a bunch of older horses and you'll get your client's horse hurt and I feel that it's, I never turn another horse out with um, that isn't mine or that I know what it's going to do. I might turn them out with my old breaking horses, but I try to keep my clients' horses separate from other horses because the first day, everybody, there's going to be a fight every time you turn them out, and somebody's going to lose. So that's kind of been trying to keep my horses safe or my clients' horses safe. So
4: I totally agree with Kathy. I was actually forgot about that. It's- If I am breaking people, horses and I'm leading, I don't charge them. So I I break my training down a little different. I charge them a daily fee for taking care of them, like just stall. And I do all mine in stall because I don't want them to get hurt, like she said. But I charge them per kind of on a per day for the driving part. So if I'm gone a week, they just get, they just get, they just pay for the care of the horse and the feed, basically. And then I keep them a week long. Well, it doesn't really matter how long I keep them, but I only charge them for the days that I work with them. Right. And people do appreciate that and know that. And everybody yeah. knows the social media today, absolutely where everybody is. And yeah. if you're not at home, uh, you know, you're not breaking, you're not driving their horses. So I think that's a huge thing. I uh, just, I kind of forgot about that. when she mentioned, I thought that was really good. other thing I was going to mention is that my dad told me this, when we started breaking horses he said you have to know your own personality and he meant temper and you need to learn to control that with an animal because he said that animal doesn't know what you're trying to teach him you're there to teach him so you have to have patience and you can't be upset with an animal that doesn't know something that you haven't taught him and if you've been trying to teach him my dad said you need to change the theory because you're not getting to him i think it's Very important, my dad said, if you're just consistent and fair, he said, you'll get results. And if they're not the results you want, then you change your method.
2: Just to build on that, Kathy, I remember uh, Clyde Gelding, uh, my family showed him for, for quite a few years, and then I showed him when I was in Missouri for a few years. And the horse was basically, at one point in his life, he was about... A breath away from the kill pen and and the horse got sent to you uh his name was Albert. Tell us the story about how you got him where you could get a collar and stuff back on him he He'd, he'd oh, had a wreck, he'd had a runaway in a oh, wreck, yeah. and a wreck
5: and I've he got tangled leader. up
2: in a chain link yeah. fence, and the collar got stupid. wrapped around his head and stuff yeah. and you couldn't yeah. they couldn't put a collar on him You couldn't get a collar on him,
5: yeah, um,
2: and he would legit expect- try to kill you.
5: Oh yeah. He was, I'd never seen a horse that scared of a collar in my life. And, uh, um, I started making him eat out of it in the round pin. That was, he had to, you know, pull hay out of it in there. And if I just, I had a old Scotch collar there and if I just walked by him in the stall, he would almost fall over. He was so scared of it. I, but he finally, once I kept letting him eat out of it, um, he, he kind of decided that he could do it, but it was weeks of that. It wasn't that the horse wasn't broke, but you couldn't get a collar on him but um just a lot of quiet bringing him up to it, feeding him out of it, putting a grain bucket beside it, uh walking by with it like over your head that's when it really you know how you'd carry one up to a horse he would he would lose his stuff he'd about kill himself in the stall so. But he finally, he finally quit. You know, it was pretty scary though.
2: So you tarp, I, didn't you tarp in his manger where he had to put his head through the collar to yeah, get his feet?
5: Yeah. And then I started, I'd stand <laughs> in the hanging and I had a pulley system that I would lower it down in front of him because you didn't want to be in front of him. He would strike you. So, um, I just kept lowering it down in front of him. I double time and, uh, keep lowering it down till he would finally just accept it. But it was pretty scary for a while.
2: to and I'll never forget. I mean, we showed that horse for years afterwards. Yeah. But you, you did not want to push the collar onto that no. horse's head. No. You held the collar in front of him, Yeah. and he would take a deep breath, and he would just push <laughs> his head right through the collar.
5: Yeah,
2: and yeah. that's how he put his collar on. But if you tried to like, you know, put a collar on like we yeah, normally do, do
5: you had to do things pretty, he, pretty quietly, and
2: you did them his way. It, I always thought it was so funny. We we're Everybody was kind (laughs) of on edge, and you'd hold this collar, and he'd put the collar on himself. And then all of a sudden, you'd hitch him up and you'd kick him in the guts and hit him with the whip, and (laughs) you'd get him all revved up to go driving. And (laughs) like 10 minutes before that, you were scratching him, being like, Oh boy, oh boy. Because I mean, he would, he would try to kill you.
5: That's probably the worst. I've had a lot of kids that were scared to have a collar, but nothing that extent that he went to. That he but was that was
2: so a shocked. bad experience obviously yeah. that yeah. he had.
5: But... Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was a couple of weeks from the quail film. Probably they were going to give yeah. up. On I said, well, I'd try, you know, and, but
2: yeah. Yeah. I, that horse, uh, he, uh, he did me a lot of good. I know that. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you put the effort in.
5: Well, thank you. <laughs>
2: well, what's the funnest horse you guys have ever broke looking back one that that you broke that you look back on now and you you're kind of proud of it or you know just maybe one that's kind of a highlight
5: um for me the flanagan horse of um connor's that's pretty proud of him
2: okay that was the clyde stud yeah Yeah. right yeah. I judged him in 2015. I believe he won the stallion cart class at yeah. the world Clyde show. It's
5: about the year after I had him. And then Joe kept working him and stuff, but I started him and
2: yeah. yeah, he was a heck of a horse. Cool. Jared.
3: Um, I'd have to say a lot of Zubra horses. Um, I also found out, I guess Ross had a lead horse. I broke uh, the, that he won the classic series with. I didn't even know it at the time till Chad told me I broke a horse on the T race. So that's definitely a highlight. Uh, I thought oh, you'd maybe
1: uh, say say the pitcher that sold for a lot of Gordyville. I thought maybe.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no. Uh, broke that gray mare for Robert Detweiler, Anderson's Clarity. She's a pretty good mare, so. Nothing
2: else right now. Gordy, what's your highlight?
4: Uh, I don't. I've been lucky. I broke a lot of horses that have done very good, so I'm happy with that. But I, I got one quiet He actually come from a neighbor where he was raised from horns. He's called. I called him Bart, and he was a wild thing. And he ended up being a real cool horse. Really cool and uh, ended up steve robertson they showed him three fingers and he did a lot of winning in the cart, and they used him in the lead and yeah he was uh, i'm not going to say this but a lot of clyde's back then didn't have quite the go that and this horse had lots of it but he was a real smart horse and the other horse that really actually with another horse I actually... I I drove that horse
2: in the lead of my... The first time I won the National Clyde Show, he was in the lead of the six-horse hitch I was driving.
4: Oh,
2: gosh. (laughs) Old old Bart. Yeah, he was a good horse.
4: Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. I broke a few maturity horses, horses, and and that's actually when I changed my braking system a little bit, is I I spent all this time on these security horses and got resolved. And I'm like, so why are you so silly not to do that with everyone so that's kind of where i started my program of being doing a little more with them on the ground and spending a little extra time at the start because a lot of these security horses don't get a lot of drives before we go there just because my summers were real busy so i never ever even looked at a maturity horse when we showed the vagina until august and then we were bailing hay and bailing straw so of so am doing a lot of drives so I was very really careful not to make mistakes, but I, I found that the best way to break them all. The horses give me a lot of pleasure because you, you you spend a lot of time with them, <clears throat> and the and it was like the maturity horse from this year. Um, actually, wasn't this year it was a maturity from last year. I took him into the and um, we were moving him around. I just had him out in the round pen. Guy was there looking at him, and I just holler whoa. And he just stopped walk right up to him and look at him. It was kind of really cool to see a horse because I don't do a lot of uh, Kathy uh, of driving them in a round crawl. I do all my bitten leg in the round crawl. So I don't ever ask for that, but I had him in there and you wanted to see him go, so I was trying him around and and I just said whoa, and he just slid to a stop and there walked right up to him, and that's kind of a cool feeling was when you when you get the result like that. Yeah, there's been a lot of good horses that actually ended up being you know. That I started from scratch. There's a lot of horses that I got in with a spoil or been drove that were very successful, but from the start, that would be them, like, Yeah.
2: Does uh, do any of you have anything else you wanna you wanna throw in before where uh, we get off? <laughs> Don't everybody speak out once? <laughs> I'd say or if you, if you, you got a good. I'd go say ahead. if you bring
3: a horse to be, if you bring a horse to be trained, don't wait six months before you hook it up yourself. You get it home, drive it. Don't wait six months or a year before you drive it yourself and come back and complain.
5: I found that to be very the true. <laughs> they take them home yeah. and they say, "Well, we just didn't get time to hook them up." I'm thinking, well. <laughs> then you can't expect them to
3: be perfect. Yeah. I've got all good clients. The minute they get home, they just keep on driving. them. So, but yeah. Yeah. I never thought
1: of that. That's a good, good point.
6: Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, I think that's right too. A lot of mine that I break go on are going somewhere else. So it gives me a lot of, you know, joy that people call me back and say that they, is, you know, they stood really good and they managed really good. Horses' talent is what their talent is. But, I mean, if, if they manner well, they're nice to be be around. Um, I think that's one thing I guess I was going to say at the start and I forgot about, is that when you're breaking horses, what do you do most with them? Uh, I'm not breaking them, but when you get a horse back, what do you do most with them? You look at them, you feed them, and you handle them. The least thing you do is drive them the least amount of time we spend with them. So I think if they're real pleasure, will be around the barn. And that's where, you know, to be in the barn when we're feeding, if they got good manners, brush off, and to be around. To me, that's probably the most rewarding thing is you want to bring them out and you want to brush them off. And if you want to brush them off, then you want to drive them. So my big thing is, is I really enjoy the part of giving them ground manners and barn manners.
2: Uh, Mark, you've been kinda quiet on this episode. What's your take?
1: No, I think it's been great. I've been just sitting here listening and taking it all in. But uh no, it's uh great, you know, I learned a lot sitting here listening and and uh, I think it's been great. You no, know, we've had uh I always you know, growing up, we I always thought a great way to break a horse is by a haul of manure. Um I got a heavy load to start. And, you know, for sure on a young colt, by the time, you know, by the time you get to the load unhooked, you know, they're getting a little bit or unloaded. They're getting a little bit tired and it's a, you know, lighter load to pull back to the barn. Then you get, then they got to stand to load it again. And then, you know, they stand and that's where they, that's, that's pretty much how we, I broke all my horses growing up. But, uh, now it's a little bit different. I like, I like to have a, I don't mind to have a breaking horse, but if you don't have one, uh, another solid, good broke horse to, uh, to uh drive them with but uh yeah no it's uh been great i mean these guys have done it a lot longer than i have and have a good clientele base and and uh just very interesting sitting here listening to them that's for sure
3: i yeah. remember the uh the other day when we talked you said remember you saw me and brandon a long time ago and the horses were driving really
2: good yeah yeah to Mark's i remember point. i was i think i was oh i think i was just to put a little bit of you know backstory to it i think i was what year did you say that was 99 99 so i would have been wow. probably 13 12 13 14 years old and i remember watching uh jared drive in in brandon and it's a little ring and he, he jared was a he won the top driver of the show award and that was my first memory of jared i was 13 or 14 i thought he was just the king pooba of, of the <laughs> dry, driving horse world it, it was as a kid sitting in the stands, it was it was pretty exciting to watch.
3: Well, I just got thinking about that. When Mark mentioned hauling manure, that year, that guy I worked for, Chris Swork, just put up a urine line. And that, I think the first day or two, we put the mares in the barn. We used the tractor to clean the barn. And after that, we used a pair of horses every day that winter, the show horses. A couple teams every day on the spreader. The only time we missed was we went to Denver. And we went to Brandon and that was the best driving bunch of horses that I've ever drove. And that's all we did was haul and with them. So, and, yeah, and that the was
1: spreader, a real good point. Uh, you know, the spreader being ground driven, it's, it's, it's a lot of noise. And, you know, so you get them loose, you know, used to having some noise in the background and, you know, you have the odd few that would take off and see if they could get away from you. But, uh, no, I always thought that was that was just great. And uh yeah, you get
3: a heavy heavy pole when it's loaded, you get a light pole when it's unloaded, and it's a perfect thing to trot on
2: when it's empty, you know. So. do you remember Brian Burns, Gordy?
4: Very uh, <laughs>
2: They they were so they're from Manitoba. And I mean they were they were a good family. A little bit backwoods, uh as far as showing and stuff. <laughs> they they had some good horses. Uh, didn't he wear
3: them little glasses, some funny little glasses?
2: yeah yeah. Or
3: something.
2: yeah yeah anyhow he uh he was on a spreader one time and his team ran away and, and he said the top beater it broke loose from the manure spreader <laughs> 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 he said that uh that uh beater he said i looked up and that thing was in the sky as high as high as you could i could see he said oh
5: uh, my god
2: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That'd be the one scary thing if a beater ever breaks loose when you're having a runaway on a manure spreader.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
5: <laughs> yeah, I don't really ever have a manure spreader to use, but my work sled dragging in on this gravel, it's pretty loud. And if they can put up with that, you know, they're good to go on about anything then. Yeah. But that first couple of feet some days, you get a pretty good ride. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah yeah well we appreciate yeah, you guys no, I getting tell you on, what, on uh,
1: yeah I, I tell you what this has been great i think uh everybody's gonna enjoy listening to this and a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience here on the on the re tonight and just appreciate everybody coming in and spending some time and sharing your thoughts and giving giving some advice to everybody out there it's been great
4: I'd like to thank you guys for asking me. I feel honored, and uh, thanks very much for the opportunity. Yep, thank
3: you guys for having me.
5: Yeah, me too. And I wasn't quite as nervous as I thought I'd be, so thank you.
2: (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good night. Yeah, me too.
6: Bye.
0: The Smith family has been in the meat snack business since 1975. There are now four generations of Smiths working with Glenwood snacks. Glenwood beef jerky is made with solid pieces of 100% premium beef and smoked with real wood smoke. Their jerky is in high protein, low in calories, and darn good to eat. Also, look out for new lines of meat sticks. Look for the SS Belgians, the equine ambassadors of Glenwood beef jerky, at a show near you our many flavors of 100% beef jerky, signature meat sticks and snack bundles at glenwoodsnacks.com. Follow on Facebook, Instagram or by calling 208-624-9851. Orders over $50 ship for free. Glenwood Snacks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you drop by our Reinhold Tack and Western Wear mailbag, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Once again, podcast at naclassicseries.com. Any questions or feedback you might have, we would love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great week, and we'll see it down the road.